Well, it's fairly common in our, in our culture, in our world, for uh, folks that love, that love to travel, love a sense of adventure. And my guess is if um, we were to offer up some tickets to Europe for next week and a guidebook and a backpack, there'd be a good chunk of these folks in this room would be willing, hey, send me, I'm ready to roll. Uh, I love some adventure. I love a sense of being out on my own, forging my own path. Uh, there's no doubt for that. So on our honeymoon 20 years ago, Noel and I went to the Mayan Riviera in Mexico. And we were at one of the all-inclusive resorts, and they offered these uh, ticket packages where you could go and um, do these tour of these different Mayan ruins and get on a tour bus. And for me, the thought of being confined to tour bus with about 100 other tourists was an absolute nightmare. Uh, and Noel didn't like the thought of it either. So what we did is we rented a Jeep Wrangler, and we just, for 24 hours, we just drove down the coast and, uh, and with a map and hit up all these other tourist places that we wanted to see these Mayan, uh, Mayan ruins. And it was amazing. And, it, and just not to have the freedom to roam wherever we wanted, not to have the confines of being in this, self, this little tour bus was a great experience. Well, fast forward a number of years later, in 2014, we were planning a trip to go to Kinshasa, Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, to, to see if we could bring Eli home. Planet guidebook wasn't really going to do the case for us. So uh, if not many of you are familiar with Congo, uh, Kinshasa, where we were heading, is the capital of over 16 million people. It's literally the, the second largest capital in all of Africa. And, uh, and so we were planning a, a trip to go there. And if, if you know much about the history of Congo, it's rich in history, it's rich in culture, it's rich in resources. But because of colonialism, and then after colonialism, there were Western powers that propped up dictatorships that have left the country with virtually no infrastructure. Uh, despite it being one of the most rich in resources in all the world, there's literally almost no infrastructure in the, in the country. So in the, in the capital, 16 million people, uh, this capital city, 10% of the roads are paved. So just to give you an idea, that's about 310 paved miles for that capital city which is pretty small. And to give you a little comparison here, just north in Lexington, there are over 100 miles of paved bike trails just in Lexington, right? So you can, you can start seeing the, the comparison here. And public transport is spotty at best. And in Kinshasa, the primary language, there's actually a lot of languages spoken, but the primary language is Lingala. But that's not even what's on the sign. So you're not going to find English many places. And, uh, and what you're going to find on the few road signs that there are is French because it was colonized by Belgium. And so language would be an issue in traveling around this country. So if we were going to, to be successful there, it was going to take something more than a guidebook. And so uh, I had traveled extensively throughout the world, Noel is too, and we've been in a lot of places and a lot of continents, and there's nothing like we experienced there. And so if we were going to navigate this city of 16 million people, have any hope to meet Eli and figuring out uh, that culture, we needed a guide. We needed somebody who would walk with us. We needed somebody who knew the culture, who understand its people, who understand the intricacies of all that we were going to experience. They could help interpret for us and help us navigate it. And that man was a gift of God, and his name was Paul Manzanza. You'll see a picture of Paul up on the screen here. He knew the place. He was a gift from God. He was kind. He was gracious. He was knowledgeable. He was trustworthy. Wherever we went, Paul was a faithful guide for us. And he was a faithful guide because he knew the place. He was a faithful guide because we could trust him. He was knowledgeable. He knew how to get around. He knew the language. He understood the culture and the intricacies of that city. And without him as a guide, we would have had an incredibly difficult time, despite Noel and I's vast experience of traveling throughout the world, would have had a very difficult time navigating Kinshasa. 
And uh, the point is this, is life is a whole lot more like a trip to Congo than a, trip, than a European vacation. You get this thought that people tell us that life is like this one big adventure. You just go out and forge your own path. And it doesn't take long to realize that's not what life really is like. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of confusing things. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense that you're going to experience uh, and deal with that you don't know how to interpret. Life is a whole lot more like a trip to a country with little infrastructure, where the language is unfamiliar, where the culture is unfamiliar. And we need a guide. We need a relevant, rich, trustworthy guide for us. And this is the book of Ecclesiastes in our cultural moment. And so God, our, our good shepherd, has given us a guide in the book of Ecclesiastes and through this person of the teacher to really help us navigate this world, this broken world we find ourselves in. And so the teacher uh, in Ecclesiastes, he knows the world, he understands how it works, and he wants to guide it. He is, in a sense, our Paul Manzanza. And so what we're hoping is this sermon series we're embarking on today is going to be a rich guide for us to help us navigate all that we're going to experience in life. And so I want to give you a little bit of groundwork as we move forward, and I want to tell you specifically where we're going this morning. But just the context of this book, this is wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And it's, uh, we just finished a whole sermon series through wisdom literature on Proverbs. This is a very different type of wisdom literature. Uh, and so with Proverbs is practical, where it's God has given us practical insight to navigate what it looks like to, to do life in his world, how he designed it. Ecclesiastes is a little bit more realistic. So if Proverbs gives us this pathway that's kind of looks to be neat and clean on this is how God designed the world, if you want to live in light of it, this is the way life will work for you, Ecclesiastes is going to tell you when you're on that pathway and there's a roadblock or there's a pothole, what does it look like to navigate those kinds of things? And so it's going to be very different in a sense than the way Proverbs works. And so the author of Ecclesiastes is choosing to remain anonymous. We saw the initial theory, he calls himself the teacher. Uh, and there's some debate about uh, whether there's two authors or one author, all those kinds of things. You're welcome to come. We can discuss that afterwards if you'd like. But many have considered in history Solomon to be the author of Ecclesiastes, the one who wrote Proverbs as well. Uh, but then there are also some that would argue, no, it was written much later in Israel's history, and so it's not, uh, it's not Solomon. But regardless... The Holy Spirit has really given us this rich and relevant book for our life. And as we move forward through this book, instead of going maybe uh, preaching through it chapter by chapter, we're going to do it thematically. And why? Well, if you read through Ecclesiastes this week in our study guide, if you're going along with us, you realize what a dark and windy road it can be. Uh, it can be really difficult to navigate, even because it's ancient Near East wisdom literature, kind of hard to understand the twists and the turns and where you're going. And so our plan is to pull out the major themes of the message of Ecclesiastes and to help us navigate that, the themes of futility and the themes of hope, and to put that together for us. But this morning, this is where we're going. Here's our summary. It'll be on the screen and in your outline as well. Our shepherd, and that's God our shepherd, through the quest of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, has given us a guide to help us navigate what's worthwhile to center our lives upon in this broken world. So we've got a shepherd, our God, who's given us a quest in the book of Ecclesiastes through the teacher, and it's going to be a rich and relevant guide for us as we seek to navigate what really is worthwhile in this life to center and build our lives around. Let's pray. Father, it's, uh, 
It's amazing that you're a God who speaks. That you haven't left us in this world to try to figure out how to navigate it on our own. But you have entered this world and you've spoken into this world. And this morning we are kicking off this series and this book of Ecclesiastes that's not talked about often, uh, God, but it is a part of your word to us. And what we see in it is that you are a shepherd and you are seeking to guide us on how to navigate a very difficult world, broken world, with hope. And so would you set the table for us this morning? Would you let us walk away sensing how much you love us? how much you're with us, and help us to understand the quest as teacher on in Ecclesiastes. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to begin with the goal of the quest. We're going to look at the scope of this quest and why is this relevant to our life? Why does it matter? So we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 3, our passage we read this morning. We'll just review it again. It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? And so we see here this person that the majority of the book is going to be about, this, this guy named the teacher, he's on a quest. And if you read through all of Ecclesiastes, all 12 chapters, what you're going to find is that there is at least 60 different personal references made by this, this teacher in this book. And these are things like, I applied my mind, I explored, I turned to, I realized, I also observed. I mean, if you just look at the page and kind of take a step back, especially in the first three chapters, that just that word I is all over the place. And it continues in every chapter throughout Ecclesiastes. And what it shows us is this teacher here that's referencing in this passage is set out on a quest. And we're getting his, in a sense, front row perspective on it, his journal on this quest. And what's the goal of this quest? Well, it's found in verse 3, and more specifically with the word gain. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? And so this, the Hebrew word that's translated for us, gain, it's actually only used in Ecclesiastes. And it's a business term, meaning profit or advantage. And so a way to think about it, just contextually and just the idea of business, is this. So let's say you invested $1,000 in a stock. And that, as soon as you invest in that stock, that stock shot up 5,000%. And so you, you do a little math, you're making 50 times your original investment. And so you would, in that moment, that, that stock shot up, you would have $50,000 in your portfolio. And so if you take out your original investment, you would have $49,000 of gain, in a sense. But let's say you were motivated and you're like, hey, listen, I want to capitalize right now, so I'm going to take that gain out. And so as soon as you went, to act on it and to take out that, the, your gain on that stock, it dropped back down again, back to, back to one, $1,000. That would be no gain. So that's the concept of gain there. Regardless of what happened in the short moment of that stock, you would have no gain. Well, the teacher here is on a quest to find out what's true profit in the world. And so just to even keep that analogy going, that what this teacher is trying to do, do is to say that when you cash out at the end of the day, what do you really gain? What in this life that if you cash out on it will deliver true surplus, true profit? That's the quest that he's on. And so some of you ask this question all the time. You think like this. You think what really in all the scope of all that's in the world, what really is true and worthy gain? And some of you, this, 
you just never really thought about that question. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the different types of personalities in this room. But we may not articulate it quite like the, Ecclesiast- the teacher in Ecclesiastes does, but we all long to know the same thing. We all long to know what's true gain in this world, born into this world with deep hopes and deep longings and deep desires. We don't operate on mere instinct just to get food and clothing and shelter. We're not animals. We're made in the image of God. And because of that, we do long to know what's true and lasting gain in this world. We want meaningful experiences and relationships and vocations. We want to be part of something that will last. So if you think about, I want us to think about how all that we desire really traces back to this gain. So you're going to see some concentric circles on the screen here. And at the core is this concept of gain that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is after. You can think on the outside of that. I mean, these are some big, deep questions that not everybody thinks about in this room, but some of you do, and they're questions of gain. What gives us lasting and meaning, lasting meaning and purpose in our life? Where will we find true, lasting fulfillment? So some of us thinks about those kind of existential questions, but a lot of us just think practically. And we just look at our lives and we're just practical things that we want. I want something to truly make me feel secure or give me lasting comfort. So we reach out for it. We seek it out in things that will give us a sense of security and comfort and chaos. And maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's our investments. Maybe it's stuff, whatever. But we want to hold on to it. We want it to be true gain for us. I know for me, I want to know that I've accomplished something worthwhile in this life. This is huge for me. Where does the concept of gain comes out? It comes out in this. Will I really produce any lasting change in this world? Will I have any lasting influence on those around me? That's a question I, I wrestle with. It's a question of gain that Ecclesiastes points for, for us. Some of us think about it in the concepts of just, of just health and my kids and my of being success, successful and healthy lives. So we look at life and what we really want out of it, what we long for, is just to be able to enjoy life healthy, to be able to have kids that grow up healthy and enjoy a successful, independent life. That's gain for us. That's, that's another way to think about gain. Or we just want fun and meaningful experiences. We want to live life to its fullest. We want to have many meaningful fun and experiences. And the core of all of those things and all those questions, it's about what's true gain in this world. And so none of these things are wrong or evil. They just simply make up ways that we seek gain. And what we're seeing then is that this quest of the teacher is really the quest of everybody who walked in this room this morning. It's the quest we're all on. We want to find out what's gain, and by nature we want to center our lives around it because that's how we function. And that's why this is actually wisdom literature. The teacher is going to go out and survey all that there is in this world and to find what is truly worthwhile to build our lives around. And he's given us this quest firsthand. And so what's the scope of this quest? Where or how, when I say scope, what I mean by that is where or how is the teacher seeking to find out what's true gain? And we see that here in verse 3 as well. The scope of the quest. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? And so the teacher tells us the scope of this quest in the phrase under the sun. And so this is, again, a conceptual phrase. It's only used in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so the meaning of this phrase, under the sun, it refers to all that can be had in this world minus one thing or one being, and that's God himself. And so you can think about it. If you picture 
God in heaven and we're on this earth. So in God in sense, God is, under, God is above the sun, we're under the sun. And if you just draw a line and you take him out of the equation of life, that's what under the sun means. And so that's what the teacher is trying to help us grapple with. And so take that concept, under the sun, of all things in this life, factoring out God. And then you add into it this quest for gain. What do you see? That this teacher is going to go seek out everything that you could experience and enjoy and have in life in this world. And you factor out God out of the equation. And he wants to see what is worthwhile building your life around. What's truly gain. What truly, when you cash out, is going to be profit for you. That's what he's after. That's what he's going after. And this really is going to be an important concept as we move forward through the Ecclesiastes of the teacher. And so many of you in this room are followers of Jesus, and so you don't think of life uh, under the sun. You think of life in its totality of God being king and sovereign and father over all. And so how you think about life is not like that. And so it's important that we understand that as we read, although you get glimpses of God throughout the book, the teacher is trying to help us think about life under the sun, factoring out God. And so it's going to be important as you're reading, if you're reading with us in our study guide or you're coming to our services and you're hearing us preach that, that the teacher is thinking about life under the sun without God. And so it's going to help us make more sense of some of the tensions and statements that he's going to make along the way. It's going to help us learn what life is. What happens in life when we take God out of the picture? It's really going to give us a taste of how sweet gospel hope is. And so I want to give you a little preview of where this is going to take us. So we're really going to dive into all the places that the teacher is going to try to find life in this world. And so he's going to seek to fulfill all of the desires and deep longings that we all experience in life, but he's going to try to factor out God. And here's the deal. He's going to have more resources at his disposal to seek out all these things than you and I will. And this is really important because most of the time we just think if I had a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, then it would be worth it. And then I could try and find real gain. That's not how the teacher in Ecclesiastes is going to work. He's going to have far more resources than you and I do at his disposal. And so he's going to seek it to the farthest degree possible to find this gain. And then he's going to share his conclusions with us. And we get a taste of it in this passage where he refers to it as futility, which we'll talk about next week. But what I want to encourage you to do is to sit with the teacher under this concept of life under the sun. So I think most of us in here, we're going to get pretty uncomfortable with some of the statements in Ecclesiastes. And many commentators have actually wrestled with, how can this be even in the Bible? Because it just doesn't seem to make sense with the overall theme of the Bible. And the fact is, again, it comes back to life under the sun, and it's going to make us uncomfortable, some of the tensions that he draws out and some of the concepts that he's going to bring and some of the realities he's going to confront us with. And we're going to work through those realities in this sermon series. But I want to ask you to not try to tie it up into a pretty bow too quickly. I'm going to ask you to sit with the uncomfortable pain of having to deal with some of these realities. I'm going to ask you not to so quickly point out the gospel hope in Ecclesiastes. And the reason why I want to do that is because the teacher is deliberate in giving us 12 chapters, the majority of 12 chapters, of life without God. Because he wants us to understand what's true gain in the world. And if we too quickly move to try to tie it all up and make it pretty and nice and comfortable, we're going to miss his point. So be uncomfortable for a little bit. Be okay with loose ends. 
Be okay with confusion. Be okay with tensions. Because in those moments, it's going to make the gospel all that much more sweeter when he brings us to the end and his conclusion. And so this book is going to give us a front row seat of this man's quest to find true and lasting gain in a broken world. And he's trying to do it without God. So why does this matter for you and I as we gather this morning? Why would we look at wisdom literature from that many thousand years ago and wrestle with it today? I want to give you three words, and this will be how we land the plane. The first one is relevant. This quest recorded in Ecclesiastes is incredibly relevant to our daily life. Each one of us have deep longings and dreams and desires, and they all center around this quest for gain. And our culture is on that very same quest that you and I are. But our culture is trying to seek it just like the teacher in Ecclesiastes, apart from any reference to God. And so this book is incredibly relevant for you and I as we sit here today. And they may to think, well, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't seek gain in all the things that the world seeks gain in. And I would say, you don't know yourself very well. Sorry. Um, many of you, I'm gonna, this should be the picture on the screen. You're probably like, why in the world is that picture up there when we're talking about relevant? So that's a lazy river, right? So if you've ever been at a water park, you know the concept of a lazy river. Someone has charted a path around the outskirts of the, of the water park, and all you do is just hop on your float and, flo- and enjoy the ride all the way around the water park. Well, I'm going to use the analogy in a little bit way that's not as nice and pretty as that. And it's this, is that we all are born into this world adrift in the lazy river that the world has set before us. It's charted out a pathway, and it's telling us all the places that we can find gain in this world. And you and I naturally just float adrift on that lazy river. And we're all prone to find and seek lasting gain in all the places our culture seeks it. And you don't have to work to do it. You don't have to put effort to do it. And what Ecclesiastes is going to do for us, it's going to help us hop out of the float and put our feet down and actually evaluate what really is worthwhile in this world. Do I just continue to float down this lazy river and go wherever my culture tells me to go and to seek gain and fulfillment in all the things that it tells me? No, Ecclesiastes is going to help us put our feet down, look around, and walk back upstream. And so it's incredibly relevant to where each of us find ourselves in our culture today. But it's also a compass. This quest recorded in Ecclesiastes is a compassionate and gracious compass from our shepherd. So I've never been lost in the woods, but I remember a... uh, I, I was some, some science class, I, I don't even remember which class it was taken in college, but they taught us how to read a topographic map with a compass. And I thought to myself, this is one of the coolest concepts in the world. The fact that you could throw me out in the woods and I could look around and everything would be confusing and I had no idea how the path to take out of the woods. But if I had a topographic map and I had a compass, I could move forward. I could figure out my way out. That's the premise of how a compass works. But it isn't such that you just throw it on Google Maps and you just follow the path. No, what it would be is that I would get my bearings, the compass would point me in the right direction, I'd start walking, but if you've ever been in the woods, usually there's not a clear walking path, and so you're, you don't necessarily have any frame of reference points. And so you walk a few little ways, you look back at the map, you pull out the compass again, and you reorient. 
Well, this is what Ecclesiastes is going to do for us. It doesn't just tell us the right way to go and that's it. It's going to be a compass for us to meet us in the woods when we're lost, to help us continually reorient our lives to where gospel, true gospel hope can be found. And it's a, state, it's a compass for every stage of life. For the younger among us, you know, this book, and I've talked to a couple, a couple younger folks than me. Uh, I'm in my 40s, and I've talked to folks in their 20s. And, and Ecclesiastes is a little bit odd for them because they're on the front side of life. They're typically filled with more drive and hunger and excitement and passion than someone at my age. And they've got all of life set out in front of them. And it all looks bright, and the future is bright, and I'm ready to pursue it. And so how is Ecclesiastes going to be a compass for them? It's going to help them reorient themselves and to think for a moment, maybe the path out of the woods it isn't as clear as I think it is. And this compass of Ecclesiastes is going to help them get their bearings on the front side of their pursuits to point them in the right direction of the hope we have in this broken world. And for the middle-aged among us, which are some of you are in here, this can be kind of the first season of evaluation in our lives. And it, and it often comes through comparison, right? We begin at this season of life to look to the right and the left, and we begin to get disoriented a little bit. And this is why you have people have a midlife crisis, right? Uh, why Shane went out and bought a truck, because he had to get reoriented in life, right? The, uh, it would have been a lot better if you went and bought like a Mazda Miata. It would have been a better, better analogy. Uh, but we, we start thinking about our life. Where, where are we at? Are, have we accomplished what we'd hoped to accomplish at this point in our life? If what we accomplish of much of value is where we're headed in the right direction, we feel those questions a lot more acutely than we did in our 20s. And so what is Ecclesiastes going to do for us? Well, it's going to help us understand why we're asking those questions. It's going to help us stare them down with all that we can and begin at this stage to reorient what we ought to be pursuing and point us in the right direction. And for the old among us, the reality is, is that those older among us, you've tasted and seen that really is, there is no lasting gain under the sun. You've tasted it. You see it all around you. Even if you're prone as the rest of us to detract yourself from that, you've tasted and seen that. Life is catching up with you, and you're not winning. And that that may seem harsh to say, but it's also very freeing to say that because life catches up with every one of us. We are aging and our bodies are falling apart and we've seen so much hardship in this world, so much complexity. We've got regrets and we don't know what to do with them. We don't know what to do with all the hardship. And Ecclesiastes is a gracious and compassionate compass from our God. That is far greater than any advice the culture could offer you down the lazy river at this stage of life. It's going to help you process the regrets. It's going to help you think about what you see in the world today. And it's going to be a compass that's going to point you home to the hope you were designed for in a broken world. And so ultimately, this compass is going to point all of us to the cross where we find ultimate gain we long for. And this is going to help us navigate the broken world we all find ourselves. The compass of Ecclesiastes will point us to Jesus, that he is the true gain we long for. So we are born into this world, and we really are on this quest for 
What's gain? And we, we go through it all our life. When Jesus was born in the world, he knew where true gain was. His quest was very different than that. His quest was to pursue you and I. His quest was to pursue you and I because he knows that we would pursue gain down the lazy river where everywhere else our culture would go. And he came to come after us and reclaim us to himself so that we could have the true and lasting gain we were designed for. And then, in his kindness and his graciousness, he's given us a book to be a part of a larger canon of books that would have a special place to be our compass, to point us to himself. And this doesn't mean that we're going to walk away from Ecclesiastes saying that Jesus is the only thing that matters in the world and we spiritualize everything and then nothing else matters. That's not where we're going to land. That's not where the teacher takes us. That's not where our shepherd is going to guide us. On the contrary, as we move forward in this book, this teacher is going to help us out how, how, see how everything matters because of Jesus. And he's going to give us hope that are going to point us to Christ, but also teach us what it looks like to navigate the hardships of this world with joy and enjoying the gifts he's given us. This is where the teacher's going to take us. And so it's a compass for us. And the last thing here is care. That this quest recorded in Ecclesiastes shows us God's care for us. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that this wisdom literature is different than Proverbs. Where, and I think what we see is that God is both practical and realistic. So in Proverbs, God is practical in that we need practical insight, and he gives us in the book of Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes is realistic that when you hit hardships in your life, Ecclesiastes is designed to show us what you do to navigate that. It's very different from Proverbs. And uh, Jill Brown works in our office here in Admin, and we were talking about their connect group this week and just their impressions of reading through Ecclesiastes. In the middle of that discussion, she just exclaimed that God really knows us. That was her response after reading through Ecclesiastes, that God really knows us, that he knows what guidance we need. He knows what questions we need to wrestle with, even if we're not wrestling through them. And he gives us a book to answer those needs. And she's so right. Every good shepherd knows its sheep. And what Ecclesiastes for us is our shepherd saying, I know you. I know the hard things you're going to experience. I know the deep longings of your heart. And I'm going to send one to go before you. And he is going to seek out all that is gained in this world. And he's going to come back and give you guidance on where to go. And then I, your shepherd, through this book, will guide you to the true and lasting gain found in my son. That's Ecclesiastes for his people. That's what he's after. He's wooing us and giving us an incredibly relevant guide through the teacher in Ecclesiastes. So as we move forward, I want to leave you with this thought. One is that you would be thankful. That you would be thankful that God has spoken. That he loves you. He's not left you in a dark and hard world without any guidance. He has spoken into that world. And one of the specific ways he's done that is through the book of Ecclesiastes. So that we'd be thankful that we got a God who cares about us and loves us. But that you would also move forward with a, with a posture that you want to learn from him. That you would walk forward and say, God, would you teach me? If you're going to be with us through this sermon series, God, would you help me navigate the futility? Would you help me really wrestle with where I find gain? 
Would you help me to see how I might be floating down the lazy river of my culture? Would you help speak into the futility that I don't want to see? Would you help me learn how to walk with you in this broken and futile world? That's our call this morning, Grace. Be thankful that we've got a shepherd who's guiding us and to be, have a learning posture willing to learn from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, not one of us in this room is deserving of your voice that you would speak to us, that you, the sovereign God and King, would come and pursue us, that you would send one before us to show us where lasting gains found, and then you would send one to rescue us from all the broken places we seek futile gain. And that we can gather here this morning, and it's not based on anything we've done or any power that we have or any wisdom that we have, but based on your love and your kindness towards us. So, Father, we thank you and praise you that you've spoken. And would you give us each teachable hearts as we move forward in this journey through Ecclesiastes with this teacher? Would you help us learn things about this world that we were unwilling to learn? Would you help us learn and understand in our own hearts what we're seeking and going after? Would you help us understand how this all points to Jesus, our true gain? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.